This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. You know, as we um, actually are, you know, the name of our ministry includes the words crisis response. We were very careful in those words. We define crisis as the disruption of the normalcy of life. But the response side is also equally um, powerful. You know, when you think about the, the word response, it has two definitions. One is a reaction. So something happens and we react to what happens. Um, but the other is, in fact, an answer. So when, when you ask a question, someone gives you an answer. That's a response. And so as we think about ministry of crisis response, we think of it as an answer to the disruption of the normalcy of life, an answer to those questions that are raised uh, in the aftermath of crisis. And, um, and again, we view the source of those answers really in the context of the gospel. Um, and of course, as Ronnie, as you said, you know, the ministry, we're, we're local church people. You know, I was part of planting a local church, um, you know, a number of years ago before we joined the mission. Um, have a love for the local church, believe that crisis is a really effective way to extend gospel ministries to, to um, uh, you know, to extend the reach of the church, but also to reach the unreached in, you know, in the context of that. So a real heart and, and uh, passion for that. We presently live in New Orleans. Um, I, actually, here, I'll move the camera. You can, you know, see the kids uh, up there behind us on the wall. Uh, we have three kids that are in their, uh, you know, 20-ish college, post-college uh, age and that kind of thing. So, Man, I, I love that. Hey, so I, I, d- I don't want to jump too quickly into COVID-19. I think, um, you know, you shared with, uh, I, I'll never forget, it was, you know, 2017 and uh, you were really trying to talk us about through like self-care, how to like you know, the marathon instead of the sprint and so forth. And you had talked about some studies that you had come across. I think it was like the Southern Baptist Convention who did some, who done studies after Hurricane Andrew, if I'm not mistaken, in Florida, and how this incredible percentage of uh, people in ministry were not in ministry after five years because they just figured out. Um, And like, like, I, I mean, it was horrifying. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yep. Yeah, the... Um, <laughs> the oh, sorry, got the dogs going. Somebody's walking down the street. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, what it showed was after five years, there was well over 100% turnover. Again, some of that turnover is going to be natural, attrition, retirements, whatever. People move, uh, other callings, that kind of thing. But but it was really uh, compared to like the the normal turnover. I don't remember what that statistic was, but it was significant. You know, it was it was really a noticeably higher kind of a thing. So the um, you know, so one and, and we've and we've seen this actually in our you know in the fifteen years that we've been doing this as you know engaging with churches. Um, I can think of many many stories where. Um, you know, leaders just were not there in the same position. Uh, some some stayed in ministry, you know, moved to another place, maybe moved to another ministry role, 
um, uh, but uh, but some left ministry um, as a result of the you know maybe I can't say maybe directly from the crisis, but certainly the cumulative effects of maybe you know the difficulties that the, the season of of, uh, of life that they endured. I had an interesting conversation with uh, a pastor friend of mine um, whose community, I I met him, I don't know, probably, I don't know, whatever it was, say eight years ago, their community had a tornado that went through. It was pretty devastating. Um, and uh, and then like maybe two or three years later, another tornado basically followed almost the same pathway. And so we connected with that local church uh, on two different occasions for, you know, for extended periods of time, helping them with outreach and just kind of navigate the, the cleanup and follow up and such from those tornadoes. You know, I talked with him maybe uh, three or four weeks ago, just as the COVID thing was starting to ramp up. And, um, and he said, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Uh, he, he had sent me a quick email. And so I got on the phone and called him that afternoon and I'm like, Tell me more. And he said, you know, I know the cost of leading through crisis. I, I've, I've, uh, they, they had some, um, you know, these natural disasters that affected the church and the community. And then there were some other challenges that followed that just within the church itself. And he said, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for another season of this. And I think it's, I think he's a great guy, very healthy, good boundaries. He's got good, uh, you know, but it's just sometimes the the season that we're in or the seasons that we've been in, um, it, it affects our resiliency. It affects the, I, I think like, you know, we all have a rubber band. We're a rubber band, you know? And so some of us have a big, thick brown rubber band and some of us have one of those green rubber bands around the newspaper or the little red rubber bands, you know? It's all good, right? Like it's all, it's part of just how God makes us. We have different levels of resiliency. The thing is, with a rubber band, when it gets, um, you know, maybe when it's uh, unattended, actually, it can dry out. Or maybe sometimes when it's repeatedly overstretched, it sort of loses shape and it's hard to get back to its original shape. Um, if it's if it's stretched out for a long period of time, it just becomes a different, you know, it just it, it takes on a different form, if you will. So those are the kinds of things that um, that we're really sensitive to with leaders in the context of, um, you know, maybe just ongoing ministry, but particularly through seasons of, you know, of maybe more stress, uh, greater challenge, um, that kind of thing. So, Man, you so, know, so, um, so one of the so kind of the yeah. I go just go one, one other thought with that, if I can, uh, Ronnie. So the idea, in fact, one of the things that our team practices um, I, I, I'll say practice because maybe we're still trying to learn and figure out how to get good at it, right? Um, we're not pros at it for sure. But the idea of proactive self-care is what I call it. So how do we, you know, how well do we know ourselves? Are we inviting others into what's what's happening in our head and in our hearts? You know, do we have some regular um dipstick moments, you know, where, where we're inviting others to open the hood, um, check the oil, see what the level, you know, the fluid levels are in the engine, that kind of thing. And, you know, thinking through that holistically, relationally, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, um, physically even. 
And so that, that being a really key part of, you know, proactive self-care. And I love that. And I actually want to camp out there just a little bit. Um, like, uh, hey, if you're just now joining us, we're so glad you're here. We're here with Mark Lewis, Director of Global Reach. Basically, he just travels the world helping churches love and serve communities amid crisis. And um, he has personally blessed us and we are beneficiaries of his ministry. And so we just love him like a friend, you know. Um, so, Mark, we're so glad you're here. And let me just say, if you have questions or whatever, you can either put them in the public chat or you can chat them direct or uh, send it directly to me privately on the chat function. And I, of course, will um, represent those questions there at the very end. But, Mark, um, this is I love that um, analogy of, of a rubber band because um, that really, really resonates on a deep level with what we experience here in Puerto Rico because it wasn't just Hurricane Maria. It was a Zika crisis. It was recession. It was um, a, a governor being removed by, uh, uh, you know, by, by, uh, by the masses and not democratically. It was earthquakes. It is like, it is like we have no rest. And so we're, we're constantly doing this thing. And I, as a pastor, like, I, I'm trying to, like, look my peoples in the eye and say, hey, I um, love you guys. We, we did, Jesus is enough. I believe that, right? I do believe that Jesus is enough. But what maybe where I need to grow as a pastor and where all of us are asking is, how can we take those resources of the gospel so that um, our, our rubbing, our um, uh, the, the, the pulling of that rubber band doesn't just like deform us, I mean, that it can form us, but not deform us, you know? Um, what, and I think part of the answer that you're getting to is self-care. So, so, so it, it, I would love for you to just talk about that because part of me is like, what, go get a pedicure, Manny Petty? Like, what are we talking about, Mark? So, yeah, could you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think of a couple of dimensions to it. You know, one is, um, uh, is knowing ourselves. So when we're, when, um, you know, what does, uh, I, I can think of like our kids, you know, back when our kids were little when you know they were getting upset and there were there were kind of stressful things going on you know as toddlers or whatever you know we had to we had to look at the environment you know tired hungry and frustrated so were those things that we helped were were those environmental things that we helped contribute into their situation to to you know they're acting in a certain way and you know and so kind of understanding our environment are we tired hungry and frustrated you know, and, and what does that, you know, what does that look like? And, and what are the sources of that? Um, do we understand our wiring, you know, introverted, extrovert, whatever, are we, are we, um, uh, maybe gifts and strengths? Are we being called on to serve in areas that are, uh, that are life-giving, you know, are we spending a good chunk of our time in that? Or are we spending our time on things that are really draining us? You know, so so some aspects of self awareness. Um, the other the other piece that goes along with that is understanding how we process difficult situations. In fact, do we process them? Looking at our maybe our conflict style. Uh, are we re, are we do we tend to be more turtleish, if you will? You know, kind of uh, we we when um, difficulty happens, we. We tend to withdraw and it's, and we tend to compartmentalize and we 
we're more inward and introspective. Again, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. It's just how God designs us and being aware that that design affects us. Um, you know, are we, are we just, everything's out on the table and it's, it's just, um, what's inside is outside, you know, and what are the effects of that on others around us? Um, you know, thinking through like, what is when I'm, when I'm feeling frustrated, um, when I'm feeling joyful, what is actually happening within us? So this, so these are, you know, different aspects of self-awareness. And then, and then the other part of it is um, inviting others into that dialogue with us, giving people permission to, um, to check in and have real legit check-in, like physical, emotional, relational, intellectual, how are things going in, in spiritual, you know, with, with um, walk with the Lord and being able to give honest answers, you know, to those kinds of questions and, and, kind of seeking out that, that sort of um, maybe peer accountability, if you will. Maybe it's in the context of a small group, for example, or maybe it's with a, a um, um, you know, for in, in our mission structure, actually, I have a direct report and that's part of, that's part of our uh, supervisory role. It's a, it's a care role that we have with the, uh, those that I report to, you know, they're investing in caring for me and those that I lead. Um, part of my role is, is investing in caring for them, you know, so it's a, a dimension of shepherding others, if you will. Uh, but it's also being willing to be shepherded, you know, so being, being submitted and accountable um, and bringing those kinds of dimensions in. You know, ultimately, it requires us to be honest and it requires us to be open, you know, so transparency and, 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 you know, I think the, 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 the realization that it's okay when, you know, is it okay? Hopefully you're in a culture and an environment where it's okay if things aren't perfect. It's okay if you're actually struggling with something. It's okay, um, you know, to, to not have the answers, you know, to, to be questioning things yourself, you know, and um, so sort of a, that kind of permission giving um, environment that you've got at least some places where, uh, again, that's not necessarily in every context and every place, but you have some places where you have permission to to express and think and feel and um, you know and, and be understood. So. You know, Mark, that really like resonates with me. I, I can remember like after Hurricane Maria, where I just I felt like I had to be brave and I had to be on and I had to be on all the time. And, um, and I remember you just giving space to just like be worn out and discouraged and, um, creating like a safe space for that. I wonder, like you have like here for us, we have, um, multiple cultures. So we have like culture shock, just, um, the, the majority culture versus, um, a lot of us are expats, not all of us, but some of us are expats. So there's that culture shock. And then there's like, different church cultures where what it means to have faith in Jesus is like every positive all the time. Like it's not safe to lament. It's not safe to be um, sad. Like that would be um, like a lack of faith or something. You know, I would be interested, Mark, like you have done this kind of thing in dozens of countries, not just in the United States um, or even in Puerto Rico. But I remember you'd come to us in, in 2017 from like Mexico and like, 
man, I mean, and then you had been in Haiti and you had been, uh, uh, was it Bangladesh? Like, I can't even remember all the different places that you had been. Can you tell us about how different cultures were processing and grieving differently? I mean, what were some of your observations? Yeah, I, I mean, there are certainly there are, um, you know, the, I'll say environmental, cultural, environmental factors the, the, but there's a lot of, you know, God's design of people is, is the same, right? So he's designed us for community. He's designed us for relationship. He's designed us for that relationship means the ability to, to, um, to think and feel, you know? And so, um, uh, so, but again, sometimes we're in cultures or we're in environments where it's, where that might be harder you know it might be more difficult we might be in environments that are confusing you know if we're in you know in cross-cultural settings um you know like who do we talk to how do we you know it's it's um how can we communicate maybe frustrations that we're experiencing and um you know so having kind of those safe places where you can have those real honest conversations and getting your your thoughts and feelings out. I will tell you, um, uh, you know, an experience I had in Nepal was very interesting after the earthquake there. It's, it was a context where, um, you know, I mean, it was hugely impactful. That earthquake was, I mean, totally devastating and, and, you know, tens of thousands of people dying uh, in a really, really short period of time and lots and lots of trauma. Um, it was really interesting that it, w- what we discovered in, in as we started to talk with leaders and and um, and be present there, um, it was really important to to convey that people had permission to share their feelings, because in that culture it it was such a strong group culture, uh, com- you know that you you just. I mean, everybody has feelings, but they were, again, because of repression, you know, decades and decades of, of, you know, kinds of repressive sorts of things, discrimination, all sorts of, you know, challenges and difficulties. And then, and then just um, uh, shame, you know, shame and honor kinds of things like, you know, you don't want to be weak and we just go through things and whatever. And, but having some permission giving conversations, particularly within the context of the church to say, but, but that's not God's design. Like God designed us for community and for relationship and for transparency and interdependence and to be interdependent, you know, we need to, um, we need to be able to have a place. Okay. And again, it's not every place, but a place where we can be, um, yeah, honest and transparent and that kind of thing. And so as we uh, we found that as we started to do, say, trauma care training, for example, like we would start out with the with a conversation with the leader and, the, and just a little interview and say, now, we just want to make sure it's clear, you know, pastor so and so or elder or whatever, like like it. This is a safe place where we can share thoughts and feelings Um, and yes, absolutely. That's, you know, and, you know, maybe a little scriptural principle behind that. Um, and then, uh, man, it was amazing to see the response of people, the idea that, that you could be heard and you could be listened and you could, to be able to say, I'm scared when, when the aftershocks come, I'm frightened. 
like that was such a powerful release for people. And so, you know, being aware of our cult, how our culture and our environment impacts us and our ability to, to communicate our thoughts and feelings. Again, it may be challenging, it may be limiting, but that doesn't dissipate the need and the importance of us being able to, you know, uh, emote and think and communicate those things and be understood. I think the idea of being heard, of being listened to, of being understood um, is, you know, it's such a, yeah, it's just God desires to, to do all of those things with us and us with him, you know, so it's, so it's part of design and we can't, uh, we can't just, um, you know, one of the things that we've kind of, we've repeated like over and over is um, the principle that actually learned from you that um, new trauma wakes up old trauma. And um, what would you say to someone who is concerned about asking feeling questions? Like they're afraid that it will awaken trauma and like, open up the floodgates, right? You know, like what, what, how do you you say to that person? Yeah. I mean, the, well, so what's the downside of that? I I mean, in in some regards, like, or maybe it's more than we can handle possibly, but is it up to us to handle? Are we the fixers? Are we the problem solvers or are we the caregiver? Are we the, are we the vessel by which God, could accomplish his work of healing and recovery. The, you know, my experience is again, in many cultures, um, many different circumstances. I mean, some really, really brutally um, difficult traumatic experiences. Um, You know, probably, I I don't know. There's no, there's, I'm sure there is a statistic behind it, but I'll just make one up. I'll just, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's the 80, 20 rule, right? So just say that maybe 80% of the people, um, well, maybe say it another way, maybe 20% of the people, you know, there's, there's some maybe real clinical, deep kinds of things that really need professional help, right? But even if you're having a conversation with one of those people, and even if the, in the context of asking some good, open-ended, caring questions and just trying to be a good listener and giving someone that gift of, of being heard, if some of that surfaces, um, I mean, again, it could be, it could be maybe a bit challenging for us. Um, but is it bad? Like, you know, it's actually good, right? Because it sort of exposes, man, maybe we need to connect you with some other resources. It sounds like there's some really deeper things that need to come out probably more than I can handle. Um, can I, can I go with you and help you connect with some, you know, some more needed resources? Again, I'll, I'll say the 80, 20 rule, or maybe it's the 95, five rule. You know, most of the time the conversation is going to be um, again, it may open up some things, but is that bad? You know, and um, it, I think some of it is, what is our, what is going through our head and our heart as we're thinking about like, why wouldn't we engage in, um, in, uh, you know, maybe caring, listening conversations, uh, with, with others, you know, is it, um, we don't have time. What if, what if their stuff is too much? You know, I can't, I, I don't, my, my tank, I, like I can only handle so much, yeah. you know? And so those are, 
And so as we start to reflect on that, well, it's like, okay, well, if I can only handle so much, maybe I need to come, you know, maybe there's something I need to get out. Maybe there's a conversation that would be helpful for me to have with someone um, so that I can have a bit more capacity to be a listener for someone else. I I love that. Like most of the time when we say, um, when we say I, I can't, I can't be that for someone else. It's because we're actually harboring something in our own heart that needs to be dealt with. And we're afraid of its exposure. And, um, and honestly, that that's, that's where the healing begins is when the exposure happens. I have a, a question here, Mark. It was um, with regard to trauma, considering trauma, what advice would you give someone who is tends to be driven by emotions and fears that affect their decision-making abilities? And so that's the question. And I would just ask like, as a, like an additional second part to that question, how like we're not uh, COVID-19 is so interesting because we're not, we're not there for each other. We're on zoom for there for each other, but we're not like, we don't get to hug it out with each other, you know, and it's creating space. I almost feel like with hurricane Maria, you could just see Trump, you could see damage, but with COVID-19, it's like, uh, carbon dioxide poisoning or something, or you know, yeah. monoxide poisoning, excuse me, you know, like we're, we're, we're dying, but we don't even know it, you know, cause we're in air conditioning or something like that. So the first part is someone who's driven by emotions and fears and their decision. And then the second part being, what are you noticing about this particular national crisis that we're all, um, that we're, um, all, uh, going through together? Yeah. Um, I, you know, the helping people gain understanding into what is driving their decisions is really is really kind of the key simple answer. You know, if you're if we're being driven by by fears and emotions, again, there's the um, like discover or people aware of that it's you know so if you're not aware of that that's that's problematic right but if we have awareness that that's our tendency well then we can start to build guide rails you know we can we can bring others into our life to help us um you know to help us uh maybe reflect before we get to the final emotion driven decision you know can we bring a, a more cognitive logic based person in to kind of this is what I'm feeling this is what we're what I'm gonna what I'm thinking to do you know help me think about this right so so that uh bring interdependency in I mean honestly it's the other way around too because some people are very logic driven right their their decisions are driven out of logic and whatever and it's like dude where's your heart for you know where you didn't you have no compassion for that person, you know? So, so we all need balance in that decision-making process. Um, again, that's where I think that self-awareness, if someone is not, if someone is lacking self-awareness in that area, um, you know, maybe it's, it's working a discovery process with them to help them. Can they, can you help them discover, you know, are they seeing these tendencies in themselves? You know, so again, good question asking to help to help pull that out. But once they have that, then it's then it's you know okay. Well, now we've identified it, whatever the extreme is or whatever the tendency is. So now, if that's our tendency, um, what are the what are the helpful yeah guardrails that we put along the put along our road 
to, to or you know the the paint markings that we put on the highway to keep us away from the edge we've got the paint marker in the shoulder you know so how do we build those uh, and then the guardrail you know so how do we build those kinds of things and so maybe we're not driving right on the fence on the edge of the fence right on the edge you know so there's some margin kinds of things um does that make sense for the first question yeah, no, that, that really resonates. That really resonates. I think the, the what you said with the COVID thing is so head on. Um, this is, it's really interesting because, you know, there's this normal curve of trauma that people, that people go through a grieving, if you will, you know, if, if, if um, you know, after dinner tonight, you know, I start to have some indigestion and chest pains and off we go to the hospital and um, you know, 911 and uh, you know the next few hours are touch and go and finally the doctor comes out and tells my wife Denise you know look Mark didn't make it we tried everything you know so there's this so there's this this shock point of oh my gosh something's happening and then there's this decline this drop to a to a low of oh my gosh my husband's sick or ill or even dying or something but then, you know, family comes together, uh, there's community, there's, a, you know, there's actually maybe lots of people come and visit and meals and com- just coming together and encouragement and such. But then whatever, days, weeks, months down the road, you know, my wife would come to this realization, oh my gosh, I'm alone and I got to face all these things myself. And, you know, the real depression, the real impact kind of sets in later. So if you can imagine, you know, kind of going along this drop, kind of a things are getting better, but then over time, this kind of longer slide down to maybe a second bottom. In this in this crisis, it's uh, well, and let me throw another factor in. The other thing is in some of the things that you described earlier, in a cross cultural context, right? The 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 temperatures, uh, you know, turned up a little bit more automatically. Um, in, a, in a place where there's been a series of things that have happened over a period of time, like we kind of get used to unusual things, you know, our, our senses to, to like our, our barometer of normal or whatever, you know, uh, it kind of gets askew. We don't recognize, um, you know, we're not recognizing maybe the stresses, the late, I would call it latent stress, if you will, but just things that are running in the background that are that are reducing our capacity as we're going. And then you throw COVID-19 in on top of maybe present things that are happening, which think about the the things that COVID-19 does. So if you think about that normal curve of grief and loss, like I don't even know what is, what is the event? Is the event the medical threat? Is the event um, an economic uh, thing? Is it, um, Maybe it's the, is the event that the, the tearing apart of the fabric of relationships, you know, I don't even know what, what is the crisis? Like what is the, the, uh, it, it has all these different dimensions. And then, you know, what is impact? What is the, what is the, that kind of first realization that, oh my gosh, like this is really bad. You know, it, again, is that it, it's going to be very, it may be very different for one neighbor than another neighbor. Because this, you know, maybe that somebody gets the disease or there's other ramifications from it. There's, it's just such a complex thing. 
it's and it's all very confusing. And then the normal way that we process things in the context of community, we don't have that available to us. We're doing this, you know, Zoom thing and um, wearing masks and, you know, can't go out. Or if we do, we we wave at people from 10 feet away. And, you know, it's all these awkward things. Think about this. I don't know for you, but like we've had conversations in our household about about milk. You know, we, we wanted a bowl of cereal, but we didn't have milk. And so it's like, well, should we go get milk? Should we wait until we have a whole grocery order? And then do we, you know, and then how do we go? What are the implications? Is it wise for us to go? Because what if we have COVID and we're unknowingly taking it just for a stupid milk because we wanted milk for our Fruit Loops? Could we just eat dry Fruit Loops? <laughs> or what if we go and we come back and we get the disease? in the process or whatever, you know, and it's like three months ago, like, Oh, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Let's get a bowl of fruit loops. What the heck? You know, like you just, it, it was, it has zero thought involved, but now mental, emotional energy is going into things that like, like it just didn't before. So, so just think of all these small ways. It, you know, it's not like the hurricane, the hurricane, it was a forecast. It came, you could see the wind blowing, you fearful, the pressure, the wind, all of those kinds of things, right? You guys lived through it. You remember those things, but it came and it went. And, and then the sun came out and then there was the aftermath and the recovery. And, you know, again, challenges that came through all of that. But where are we? Is the wind blowing still? Are we in the eye? Did it pass? Is it, is it even still not even hit land yet? I don't, I don't really know. And it, and again, it may be different for each local community or local fan, you know, family, it could be very different from one to the other. So, so this is a really confusing response or crisis. And so responding, you know, is equally confusing. Our processing of things, it's so, you know, it's so unusual. It's so, um, yeah, just no one's ever experienced it. You know, and uh, um, one of the fears that I have is that, like, as a culture, we're so individualistic and naturally isolated that we need no excuse to be alone and not seek community. Like, we always are going to resist community naturally. Not everyone, but just generally speaking, because we're such individualists. Two weeks ago, our speaker shared that um, – that doctors show that um, like NFL players who had like head trauma, you know, from playing years of football, what, what their brains look like were very similar to people who were um, isolated um, over time from other people, like extended isolation. Yeah. And like what, what it does on your brain is like very, very similar. It's a big, big deal. And and yet in some ways I'm afraid what well, my, and this is just fear talking, Mark, like I'm afraid of us like liking this too much and then not bouncing or being driven by fear. Like I'm afraid of dying. And so right. I never give myself to community again. You know, I, those are, that's my fear. How can you talk me off the ledge again, Mark? <laughs> well, I, I think it's, um, I think it's, I think it's founded, right? I mean, we don't know. We don't know what the prolonged effect of, of, um, of social distancing and isolation. I mean, it, again, I look at, at God's design. This is not God's design. 
Like God did not design us, uh, you know, even, even the individualism, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily wrong. Right. I mean, he, he designed us to be interdependent and in community. And I think the, um, you know, I think the, the real work ahead of us as, as ministry workers, as church members, church leaders is um, in the midst of these days, how do we, how do we stay connected and main and, and try to, you know, engage in community. And it's almost like we need to invest even more work, even more effort now in, um, in, uh, you know, that in the values that go behind community and connectedness and, um, and, uh, and even, you know, press into that even more and plan really strategically, like think ahead. What does re-entry look like? What does, what does, turning the light switch back on, you know, is this, is this a, is this a light switch event? Like kind of the off switch just got hit, right? The button got hit, the lights went off, but this is more of a dimmer switch coming back on, you know? And so what are people going to be comfortable with in terms of community? You know what? And, and what are their thoughts and feelings about it? The first, the first event of, of kind of moving into this social distancing and isolation, it was forced upon us. But now as we, as we look at the recovery, as we look at the return to the community, us as leaders, I I really think we need to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, we have to have a great sensitivity to where people are at. And we have, we need to, we need to really understand that. And we need to, um, we need to, you know, communicate and educate and help, people be comfortable with what we want things to look like moving forward. Um, you know, what does, and, and then, and then actually in leaders kind of from a, so this is maybe in a different direction, but I'm thinking just from a change management standpoint, you know, what, what is it, it what should be the same? What should be different moving forward? Um, you know, are the other are things that we want to do, we want to, like be more focused on community and relationships and groups, small groups and accountability and transparency. Like we want to go there in an even deeper way because we've recognized um, what it's like to not have it. Uh, But recognizing as well, Ronnie, that there are some people that are going to be like, well, maybe I don't need it. You know? And so this wide range of where people are at their, their receptiveness to kind of, whatever the return, you know, as the dimmer switch gets turned, you know, to, to kind of the light starts to come back on, you know, what are, what are people going to be thinking and feeling? What are their expectations going to be? What are their fears going to be? You know, we're kind of comfortable right now with lockdown. Like we've both figured that out, but what was the next thing look like? Cause that next change is going to bring with it another set of stresses. It's another set of unknowns, uh, more uncertainty, you know, and then, well, what if we go back to lockdown, you know, because we don't know, this might be a yo-yo kind of a thing or a W or whatever, um, you know, whatever example that, that you want to use, you know, and so do we want to start re-engaging in community because it was costly for me to not be in community, uh, you know, yeah. to be able to have that hug and whatever. And so do I open myself up again just to be even more hurt? Again, yeah, I don't know. These are a lot of things I'm. I don't. I don't really have answers to. Yeah, but, uh, you know, lots of questions. Like how to 
the it's our socialization like i know like my son you know and he represents the youngest you know generation here he's a teenager but like he hates zoom because he just like can't handle his face being like seeing someone through that medium and so his whole generation they only text they don't even talk on the phone that's weird and most certainly they don't do like a facetime thing it's only text and um now before COVID-19, he's great to have friends and meet in groups. But now that we have to use this medium, it kind of does something to us. Like it's, we're just weirded out by Zoom and I get it. Like, you know, like I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who probably would be like, don't show my face, camera off, you know, that kind of like, it's a hard, it's a hard deal. And yet here we are like, and um, how do we, we have to, we have to get through this, man. We got to get to the other side. And I wonder if, like you said, we have, we have to ask the question, like, when this, when this is over, um, it's not, uh, it's not just business as normal. Like this, this is going to change us forever. And I think what you said really resonates with me. That is, we must, uh, habituate and, and pound the interconnectedness of gospel, like the, that, that, like that, it calls us to the body, it calls us to one another, like, because that is where we're going to experience, you know, the of the payout of Jesus is being with us and, 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 um, yeah, nourishing our souls. So anyway, listen, Mark, our time is coming to an end here. Um, I would just, before I, before I, um, let you go, I would just say what, um, What's one last thing that your your prayer for Trinity Church would be like? What what do we need to be aware of? Maybe as leaders, um, what 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 last gem would you just have for us? Like, man, you need to hear these words. Yeah, I think in two, you know, kind of two things. Um, one is um, be really, really sensitive for caring for one another. That aspect of giving, give one another as leaders. Um, and, and again, whether it's internally within your leadership teams or if it's reaching out and, uh, I mean, hey, we're here as a resource. We can facilitate some debriefings or whatever, you know, um, the, uh, but, but make sure that you're processing your thoughts, uh, the, the, the realities of the circumstances, your thoughts and your feelings that go along with it. You know, what are the what ifs that you're afraid to think about? Um, mm-hmm that maybe have come to mind and you just push them right back out. You know, I don't really know what those look like. Um, so, so care for one another and care for your body and recognize that this is different. It's a, it's a hurricane. It's an invisible hurricane Maria, right? So you can't just look outside and be like, those people really need help. You've got no clue until you engage in dialogue and conversation mm-hmm. and listening. You got no clue. Uh, who has no roof and no walls, you know, and no electricity and, you know, all the other things that you guys uh, had to endure. Um, the second thing is um, there is a ton of lost people that have no real community. I mean, they don't understand gospel. They don't understand that at all. And so what is the you know, we're struggling through this through and make trying to make sense of this through gospel lenses and through a, through an eternal hope. Um, 
it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's really interesting trying to hear what people are trying to cling onto. And, um, and it really is shaking like where it's, it's exposing your idols, you know, and, and it's, um, and so I really think about the opportunities to, as we care for ourselves and listen, how do we then extend that gift to those around us? So the lost in our neighborhood or in our, in our circle, right? Our bubble, whatever it is, you know, the, the, the sphere of influence that we have that are non-believers, how do we just, you know, tell me about how, how has COVID been for you? Help me understand. Tell me more. Um, what have you been thinking about? Kind of those basic trauma care sorts of questions. Um, and, and then be praying for how God might use that, how God might use those conversations to sort of help us open our eyes to really understand what's happening, you know, in our households. I'll, I'll share, you know, one other uh, reality. Um, the, uh, I was on with a church in central Pennsylvania um, this morning. Um, they were telling me that the number of uh, cases in their social service network, their social services are overwhelmed because they don't have enough workers. But the call volume has like over the last few weeks has just gone off the charts. Um, all sorts of issues, you know, domestic violence, um, kids issues, whatever, all sorts of things are surfacing because of, you know, things that are happening in the home and, you know, maybe the home isn't a great place. So again, we can't see the effects of this hurricane, but they're there. Um, and so kind of pressing into, well, what's happening down the street and what's happening in my neighborhood. It's the mission field that follows crisis. You know, to be a missionary, we need to be called. We need to be healthy, you know, envisioned and, and called. Um, we need to be willing to go. Um, so we need to take care of ourselves first, and then we need to be able to go to those that are, you know, that are lost and hurting around us. It's just now it's really hard to see them. We have to go, you know, engage and discover. So it's like, that's um, my, that's been the burden that I've had for church, uh, for all the local churches. It's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I'm on as many conversations and as I can, uh, to encourage, and we're trying to resource as much as we can as a team. So, you know, we're here for you guys. We're here for anybody on the call. Uh, Ronnie's got our information. We can, um, you know, we can have individual conversations or we can set something up for you or your team. Um, you know, we're, we're here for you guys. So. Mark, I, um, Amanda and I feel such a debt of gratitude to you, um, man, when we were just on the, on the brink of burnout, man, the Lord sent you to us and you took time to ask us questions. You created that space. What you have said today, I have experienced you do in real life. And we are so thankful for you and for your ministry.